Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. So glad to see everyone here this morning. Uh, why don't we all stand and let's worship the King of Kings together. Oh, God. 
Heavenly Father, 
We worship you, we praise you, we adore you. When we look around, we are left breathless in awe of all that you have made and are. Thank you for giving us the ability to create and to be creative. A reminder that we are made in your image. Help us to be good stewards of all that you have given us. Remind us that everything we are and have comes from you, the giver and creator of all good things. Forgive us for the times that we have not been good stewards of the time, talents, and treasures that you have given us. Forgive us for neglecting the relationships you have put us in, especially our relationship with you, Father. Give us a vision to see, open our hearts to believe how precious we are to you and to nurture our relationships, especially our relationship with you. We don't want to do anything that would diminish what you have created or who you are. Holy Spirit, when we are overcome, either by our own thoughts or the circumstances of this world, breathe new life in us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. Where all seems hopeless, let us see you moving and working. Fill us with your peace that passes all understanding. Show us how we can partner with you. Father, bless Pastor Steve as he shares the message you've given him. Bless him and his family as he continues to faithfully serve you and this community. Bless the youth and children's ministry, the preschool, and the LJCC staff. We ask for your healing hand for those in our congregation that are sick or homebound. Bless our leaders, Lord, locally, nationally, and throughout the world. Enable them and give them your wisdom to move and to act according to your will and to your word, so that in all things, you will be honored and glorified. Bless the firefighters fighting the wildfires in Yosemite and all those in harm's way. Keep them safe. We worship you, Lord. We magnify your holy name. Hear us pray as we pray the prayer you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Wow, thank you, Lainey. And uh, good morning and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We're so glad you're here with us, whether you're here in the sanctuary or you're out on the patio or in the Welcome Center or even joining us online um, now or on Tuesday night at 5 p.m. Um, we're just glad you're here worshiping God with us. Um, if you are here in person, you got a bulletin when you came in. And um, on the top portion, uh, there's a, a really fun event coming up. This past Friday night, we had Family Fun Night and had uh, about 130 people out having a, a great dinner and water slides and fun things for kids. And for um, several adults who don't have kids in the house, they came and volunteered and had a blast. So that's uh, something we always love and encourage. Um, but uh, coming up in two weeks on Friday night, we have 
All Church Fun Night. Um, so we've got something for all different age groups. Um, so uh, we've got a movie, uh, kind of a younger age movie, but always fun if you're an adult and you you got a young spirit, you'll like the movie. Um, and then really good food and uh, a really awesome mission opportunity. So we'll be filling um, bags for Meals on Wheels um, care packages. So you can come out, have a good meal, um, talk to talk to some friends, meet some people, and then fill up a couple bags for Meals on Wheels. And that'll be a great time on uh, the evening of August 12th. So uh, there's a QR code on the bottom if you want to scan that. Um, if you don't know what a QR code is, you can just type in ljcc.org on your phone and you'll uh, find more info. Um, and then the bulletin is actually perforated and you can tear it in half and on the bottom you can give us some information um, like your email address and we'll uh, send you a newsletter. You can tell us if you'd like to be in a life group or you're looking for something, a certain kind of class. And um, you know, we always take anything on there seriously and, and consider how we can fill any need. Um, and then on the other side, there's a prayer request. And um, at LJCC, we take prayer uh, as, a, as a part of our DNA. So we pray for every prayer request every week. Um, uh, we get a lot of like needs, things people are going through, hard times, and then a lot of thanks too. Like, you know, God really moved in this way, and um, and so we love praying over those, and we hold those in confidence too. So those aren't you know spread out uh, amongst anybody, but we do um, we do look at them and pray for them. So uh, uh, you can fill that out, and then you can turn it into the basket in the foyer on your way out. Um, and with that, I'll welcome Pastor Steve up. Drake. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, there's a tip jar up here. You can't see it. It's very small, very small. Well, we're continuing our series uh, on the wonders of God, the God of wonders. We're talking today about the fact that God uh, adds value to everything. Uh, God adds value to everything. That might be kind of an odd thing to talk about. Well, yeah, no kidding. If he's God, that kind of goes without saying. But it's important to, talk, to stop and think, yeah, God adds value. God adds value, and we're going to explore that a bit. Um, but I want to ask this question of you, a personal question. Uh, what are you worth? Uh, what are you worth? Uh, the latest uh, analysis is that you can be worth every, anything from a dollar, depending on which elements in your body they're counting, up to $126 dollars. Uh, apparently, if you, if you add your skin into the mix in terms of value, it adds another, what is it, uh, $5. Uh, of course, if it's, it's against the law, it's illegal, but if you can sell your body parts, uh, that, those are big bucks, right? Um, uh, if you want to give your body parts, of course, that, that's a, a level of value in terms of, I, I got my license renewal, and uh, uh, it, it has all that stuff you can check, you know, from, and... And I didn't know this, but now they customize those. So I was looking down, and they had this entire list of things that they need, and, and they, you know, they, pre, they preload it for the, whoever's getting it. And I was going down on mine, I said, uh, abs, no. Um, let's see, biceps, mm-mm. And they're going through all these muscles, and I'm thinking, what? And they want stuff like kidneys and livers. And I'm looking for, well, come on, don't you want the really important stuff for me? Like, no, no, I, no, thank you. Um, what are you worth? Uh, you can be worth billions if you've created something and invented something. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a, something like 120 billionaires in the state of California. 26 of them live in L.A. Not one of them live at my house. <laughs> Not one. 
you think in that spread, you might be, you know, five, it would be so bad to have just one billionaire living in our house. And then I went through the list just to be sure I wasn't on it. No, I'm not on it. And it's, it's uh, but it was interesting reading uh, some of the lists uh, of uh, people who uh, live in town here. And, you know, La Jolla is such, uh, in this general area, such a beautiful place. But, you know, it's, it's kind of a beautiful bit of nefarious uh, behavior. Uh, because through all the different financial crazy things that have gone over in the last 30 or 40 years, inevitably some person out of one of those ends up living here. And you go, oh, Ivan Boski lives there, or so-and-so lives here. And one of them was this guy who was called the King of Torts. You know his name, I won't say his name. Um, but uh, the King of Torts, and uh, he got so good at it that he felt like he deserved a bonus. And so he started motivating people with money to be favorable toward his tort processes. And it turns out that they said, you've done such a great job for so long, we're just going to take your license to practice law away so that so anybody else has a chance out there. But I noticed that he still claims to be worth about $600 million. I'm thinking only in the United States, maybe in Russia, could you pull that off, you know, where you, you get caught for doing rotten things and you still end up with a boatload of money. Uh, if I was to ask that person, hey, how much are you worth? He would say, I'm worth $600 million. How about you? Uh, big question. I mean, what is your true value and worth? Who determines that? Your mom? That's a good place to start. You know, uh, is it the government that determines how much you're worth? Uh, I saw this thing that um, in the newspaper talking about uh, this is a professor writing, and I, I have nothing but high regard for professors. Mostly, uh, all experts have their, you know, their their weaknesses in terms of perspective. And this professor was saying, um, because she's a psychiatrist, so she knows everything, she was saying that it's really wrong to make abortion illegal because some children are going to grow up not feeling wanted. I thought, is this the most ridiculous? It'd be like saying, you know, abortion should be really encouraged because some kids could grow up and have a cold, you know, from the trivial. Or a kid could be um, disabled. A kid could have some other deficit, and we, we want to avoid that. I remember when we were first pregnancy, we were in the office and had this old wise doctor. She was amazing. And doing a sonogram, and, and we were saying, well, now, why do you, do you do the amniocentesis thing? He goes, yeah, you can do that if you want, but sonogram is fine. Why, are you concerned that you might have a problem with your child? We said, no. And I said, why would we do an amniocentesis? She goes, well, in case the child is going to have complications and disabilities. And then I'm like, well, the point being what? We want a baby, however the, the baby shows up. We're not gonna, we don't even want, no one want to know what the sex is. We just want to meet the baby. But she said, you know, you'd be surprised how many people want to come in and know all the details so they can decide if they want to have this baby. What is a baby worth? What is a human being worth? How, how much is an old person worth? We talk about this a lot. Not to make a point about abortion or euthanasia, but just to simply remind ourselves that worth and value are not ours to ascribe. Worth and value are not ours to ascribe. Um, Oscar Wilde said, a cynic is someone who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. How do you figure out if something is worthless or priceless? How's that NFT you bought last year for $500,000 going? You know, um, one, one day something is priceless and the next day it is worthless. Ask anybody who's ever been on a, a, a boat, 
a, a high-end cruise ship that when it, it was determined that the boat was sinking, that they said, I can't leave this boat without my, and wherever it is, my diamonds, my this, my that. At some point they said, you want to spot on the life raft, now it's the time to go. And it can only take you. So what makes something priceless or what makes it worthless? Uh, people do destructive things to themselves and to others because they don't understand their value. People put a price tag on this young girl from India or this young girl from the Philippines or this young boy and we've, we've, we've economized and monetized and prioritized a way of creating a market for these children and you know the story. Human trafficking is out of control right now. More people in slavery than any other time. Um, John Cotton Richmond has been here a few times. Uh, he was our first ambassador to, uh, to on, on behalf of the United States to oversee the prosecution and, and, the, and, and the, the pursuit of stopping human trafficking in the United States. So the, the bottom line on this is that God wants us to, to cherish our worth and value and to cherish uh, and value the worth of others. This is one of the most shocking things about uh, the, the movement aligned with Jesus. There's so many great belief systems, so many wonderful ideologies. The shocking thing, though, is that Never before has there been a movement that is so different than any other movement. We're so used to it now, we think, what's different about it? And in our modernistic and postmodern way of thinking, we conflate everything that's about anything into one big thing. No distinctions whatsoever. But the radical shocking thing of the Christian movement in the first century was that they take care of their children. They don't abuse their slaves if they own slaves. And if they have slaves, they find ways to release them. Uh, and it goes on and on and on. They, they care for people who aren't related to them. They care for people they don't know but who have needs. And all of a sudden, the Roman government was saying, who are these people that ascribe unconditional worth and merit and value to people? Because we've already figured out what they're worth. And we, we, we label those people. If, you don't have a, a, if you're not a Roman citizen, first of all, you don't have any worth. And if you have to work... Uh, that's horrible. That, that you have no worth if you have to work, because only slaves have to work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So every culture, every society comes up with ways of ascribing worth and value to people. I've been in meetings where somebody would say, talking about hiring somebody, not here, but I've been in meetings where somebody's going to say, well, how much does that person cost? And I was really, really offended when I first heard that. I said, hold on a second, what do you mean, what do they cost? Well, you know, what will it cost us to have them? Uh, I know what you mean, but when you put it in terms of what do they cost, that's so demeaning of people, right? It could be that you have somebody who says, I made a lot of money doing something else. I want to do this for free. Oh, then you're not worth anything if you're doing it for free, right? Big, these are big questions. Well, so what's radical for us is that we say this is rooted in the very being of God, the very person of God. Under the authority of God, we understand that all people have worth and value. And we don't want to let go of that. We don't want to let go of the fact that all people in all places at all times have worth and value. As much as this sounds like a no-duh, tell me something I don't know, right now, this has never been more uh, at risk in our world. For any number of reasons, it's never been more at risk in our world that everybody has worth and value. Um, Peter Singer, the number one ethicist in the United States at Princeton, says you do not have any value unless we ascribe it to you. And he has this whole well-developed theme, and, it, and it's pernicious about what your worth and what your value is. 
and we don't see it because we're not confronted with it every day. But at certain critical points, we bump into it and we're shocked that this exists. We expect it to, to exist in some undeveloped place, unsophisticated place. Except for all those undeveloped, unsophisticated places have a higher view of worth often than we do. Why? Because a long time ago, some missionary showed up and said, you know, you're beloved of God. And they've clung to that. They hold on to that. And in those countries, they're bringing a sense of people's worth and value that the inherent culture necessarily doesn't buy into. Oh, but she's a girl. Why would you want to save her? One of the, greatest, one of the great young filmmakers in our era uh, uh, was at USC Film School and uh, was not a believer, but had to, had to do a project. And he, sat, he happened to see in the LA Times this guy, a Korean pastor, who would take children with disabilities. First of all, girls or any child with a disability. His boys were treasured and girls were a nuisance. And he had this drop box installed on the front of his house. And all I had to do was hit a buzzer, put the baby in and go away. And the pastor would come and take the baby. So this kid, um, Brian, saw this. He thought, that's amazing. So he calls the guy and he says, hey, uh, can I come talk to you? I want to make a documentary about you. And so one thing leads to another. Well, this guy was such a vital alive follower of Jesus. He helps Brian become a pastor, a, 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 a Christian. And, 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 and then Brian is emulating this pastor saying, okay, that's what I do. Makes the documentary. Ends up winning $100,000 as a student in a film festival. And he stood up at the film festival and he said, I started out my career at USC film school wanting to be Steven Spielberg. I still want to make great film, great movies. And he does. He says, but I now understand what I want to do is take this $100,000 and invest it in making stories that tell what goes on with people in ways that shows us how much they matter. This is the powerful thing that this movement, this Christian movement is about. Now you might say lots of other movements have compassion, have, yeah, they do. But in a unique way, this is such a, a, a one-off. When you look at what God has done, unequivocally, with complete transparency that everybody at all times, at all, in all places, has worth and value for no, no other reason but that they're made in his image. So the psalmist tells us this in 139, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I love the way uh, Jesus uh, said it uh, at what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He said, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And of course, we'd all say, yeah, right, exactly. And then you can't help but ask the question, then why are 770 million people starving as I speak in a world that has enough food to feed them? So we live in a fallen world where these beautiful words are not necessarily the norm. They're in play, so to speak. They're disputed. And it's people who are followers of Jesus who need to see that this is a God of wonders who adds value to everything he touches. And we don't have to apologize for that. We don't have to pound our chest and tell everybody how awesome we are because we believe in this God. But we can tell people how awesome this God is. Because God gave worth and value to everything he created, and he continuously values it. So it, it, you know, Genesis 1 says, and there was nothing a void. 
A scientist might say, well, it's hydrogen. Lots of hydrogen, yeah, but lots of undifferentiated hydrogen. And God took that and formed something out of it. And He blew His breath into humankind and gave us life. So God has not only created a beautiful and an awesome creation, uh, He maintains it, He sustains it. It breaks His heart, uh, we know this from Scripture, uh, for what we've done to it, we are, what we continue to do with it. Uh, you know, with the, with the web stuff going on, you know, the web uh, phenomenal telescope sending us back images. Another you know, headline in, in the paper was, you know, uh, is there intelligent life in the universe? And we hope there is, yeah, because there's not a lot of it here. Um, we hope to see it out there because we could use it a little bit more here because the way we handle it. And so Jesus is redeeming the worth and value in his creation through his word, through his Holy Spirit, through his people. So there's, there's this movement initiated by God, funded by God, empowered by God, directed by God in terms of saying, here's the content, my word. Uh, here's the power to get this done, my Holy Spirit. Here, here's the means for doing it, people. And if somebody says, well, God, why haven't you done something? He would say, I have, it's you. I've, what I've done is you. I've made you in my image. We're going to talk about being made in the image of God and next week it's going to be really a fun conversation. And so we, we value what God values. We embrace the worth that He attributes to His creation. How do we value it? By caring for it. We all, we all ask the question, how can I add value? I mean, when we came onto this property, uh, it was in really horrible shape. The preschool uh, looked like a gulag, you know. Um, it was just not a happy place. And so our, our first goal, after buying a spit that we could roast meat, was to say, how do we completely redevelop this property? How do we make it as beautiful as we can make it with the funds we have? How do we care for the teachers in the preschool? Give them fair wages and, and benefits. How do we care for these children? Why? Because there's so much value at play here. You know, this, this property is worth an insane amount of money now. We can't get at it. It's all tied up in CC and R's and that kind of thing. But we think, okay, we, we can't get the money out of the ground. What can we do to get the value out of the place? So that's how we think. How do we add value? Why do we think that way? Because that's how God made us. Now, everyone has worth. We all need redemption. We're all accountable to honoring God and people. And yet we don't do a very good job of it. And so therefore, God had to remind us constantly and constantly and constantly again and again and again. Uh, so Jesus, again, in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Uh, Raka is simply an um, you know, um, Aramaic word that means you're worthless. You fool. Uh, isn't just saying you're being foolish. It's you, you don't have you know not you're not even human. You're just something else. Um, we don't take this very seriously. I, sometimes I don't. Well, I do. I, I just find other ways and other words than raka. I try to technically get it right, but you know, don't you find it's easy to get angry at people, especially in the world we live in, where we're so disconnected from people. They're in a car, we're in a car. You don't really know them, they don't know you. They're a customer service person who knows where, and they're telling you it's not possible to get whatever done you need to get done. 
is some government person coming up with one more crazy thing that you think, how does that make any sense? Um, now, you might stop, if, if, you, if you're thinking of Bible exemptions of this, you might be thinking, hey, wait a minute, Paul called the Galatians foolish, and Jesus called the Pharisees foolish. True. Um, but both Paul and Jesus were calling out deception and error. They were calling them on something to get their attention and then to take them on a journey where they could see what was going on so that they could be redeemed, they could be in their right mind. They weren't denying anybody's God-given humanity or worth. So what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5 is as we deny people's humanity and their worth, it's a whole lot easier for us to then treat them as if they don't matter. We depersonalize people so that we can then uh, either ghost them or treat them poorly and then not feel bad about it. So I want to talk about this for just a bit, because hate and disdain puts us in conflict with God himself by denying people's worth and value. And one of the things that's happening in our culture is that, peop- that there are people, especially people in, in particularly insulated uh, parts of our culture, who have a lot of power that they can leverage, and they have this message that this whole country is inherently racist and is against anybody for any reason. And you think, okay, you've, you've, you've taken some really important issues and you put them together in a way that you can't even talk about them now. Do you want to talk about racism or you want to talk about something you're saying that applies to everybody and, and there's no other differentiation of what, what, this, what the, the setting is? But it's easy to just talk about these things, uh, not necessarily apply them to the country, but just these things as themselves are, are important to talk about. Hate and disdain. Why would hate or disdain put us in conflict with God by denying people's worth and value. Well, because disdain is contempt that someone or something has value or is worthy of consideration or respect. Disdain says you don't, yeah, you might get it, you might have it legally, but you do not deserve respect. You don't have any rights. This is a thing that we can do to our family members, to our neighbors to people from different ethnicities and different races, but we can do it to anybody at any time. We've gotten so good in this country about just telling people they don't matter and they don't count. And then the cover for it is, well, it's just, it's endemic. Well, no, it wasn't endemic. It was in that particular conversation that that happened. It was in that particular setting that this is going on. But by saying it's endemic and it's just, it's, it's a structural thing, what you're saying is you can't get at it but I can remain perpetually angry at you because it exists. It's a bizarre way of saying, I don't want to take anybody, any kind of responsibility for my capacity to treat people poorly. And it becomes politicized and monetized, et cetera, et cetera. And so confronting people in their, in their sin and error is not disdain. Confronting somebody in their sin and error is not disdain. If anything, he's saying, I'm recognizing your humanity. I want to honor it by talking about this thing that concerns me. It's a practical sign of love and concern. Are you with me on this? When you take time to confront somebody about something that is wrong, illegal, immoral, it's not because you're disrespecting their humanity. You don't like who they are, how they act. Who they are. You don't like how they act. You're saying, this is not right. Can we talk about this? It's one of the greatest gifts of love and respect we can give to people. A way of saying, I've been seeing some things, I really want to talk to you about this. Is that okay? That helps if we've established a relationship of trust. You can't always do that. Sometimes you just 
you know, situ- you're in situations where you have to deal with stuff. So let me ask this question. Is there value and worth in anger? And if so, what do we do with it? Is there value in, and worth in anger? And if so, what do we do with it? In Psalm 4, uh, the writer of Psalm 4 says this. In your anger, do not sin. Uh, this is particularly the Jewish, <laughs> the, 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 the Jewish Greek interpretation of the Old Testament. So a bunch of Jews said, let's translate the Old Testament into Greek. And so that's called the Septuagint. And in that particular uh, version of the Old Testament, which is accurate, but the way the language is used there, they, they say, in your anger do not sin. It's a really great, great line. What we see is that anger is a normal God-given emotion and a natural, normal response to many situations. Anger in and of itself is not bad. In a fallen world, anger gets bad in a hurry. You see, when, when the Bible refers to the anger of God, it's a very different quality and kind of anger than what we are used to. But we immediately project our version of anger onto it and say, oh, see, God gets angry. He's out of control. Now, the Greek and Roman gods, always angry, always doing funky things. The God we see in the Bible is a righteous and loving and just God. And so when we see anger, we see something else going on rather than just, I'm ticked off at you, frustrated, and I'm going to take it out on you. So anger is normal. And how, how do we get angry? Well, a bunch of things trigger anger in us. Um, how about betrayal? Does that make you angry? How about neglect? How about hurt? How about frustration? How about conflict? How about fear? Uh, a friend of mine, former Navy SEAL, he is a crack-up. Uh, I, I love this guy. And uh, I don't know how we got it. We were talking about kids. And he said, you know, I just hate, I, he, first of all, he said, I hate bullies. And uh, wherever I see him, I said, it's just challenging, isn't it? You know, and he said, yeah. And he said, I just for the heck of it, he said, I got on a bus. I never ride the bus. But I got on the bus and I'm riding the bus. I'm sitting there um, coming back. He lives in La Jolla. He's coming back to La Jolla. And he sees his dad just horrifically pounding on this kid verbally and just just breaking this kid down. And people on the bus are uncomfortable, and the dad's just doing that. And he's, I'm, he's threatening to whack him. And, and the kid is just cowering. And, and, the, and the mom or the woman, I don't know if they're married. or I don't know. Who knows what the relationship was. But ostensibly the mother of the child and the dad was doing this, and the mom's you know, doing that kind of thing. <clears throat> and um, so they got off. The, the, the people got off the bus. And my friend said, so I got off the bus. I'm like, oh, this is not going to be a good outcome. I said, so I, I know you didn't just beat the guy up. He goes, no, I was way more subtle. He said, I just came up to him really kindly. I said, hey, sir, can I talk to you for just a second? He's like, yeah, what do you want? He goes, I just want to talk to you. And, see, and, and he slid his hand underneath his armpit with that pressure point. And, he, and, he, and it's, a, it's an immobilizing thing. And he, he did that. And the guy's like, and the guy was like this big, and my friend was about this big, and he said, if I ever, ever, ever see or hear that you've talked to that kid like that again, I will find you. And he looked him in the eye, and the guy goes, okay, I get it. I said, man, I understand everybody can lose it, but you've got to learn how to love that kid. He deserves it, because he's going to grow up and be a scared, angry kid if you don't. I mean, he's saving us from a shooter, basically, you know. So this is the kind of thing you go, okay, was, his, was my friend's anger appropriate? I think so. Because otherwise, he would just say, it's not my deal, and the kid goes off and, you know. Um, I don't know what, what triggers you. Is it betrayal? Is it neglect? Is it hurt, frustration, conflict, fear? Somebody lies to you, somebody cheats you. I don't know what it is. 
But anger uh, is a normal thing, but anger can give us a false sense of energy. People feel energized when they're angry. They love being angry. It gives, gives them energy. And that energy overwhelms other people. They come in and go, I'm angry. And all of a sudden people are on their guard going, oh my gosh, you're so angry. What did I do? Or that you're powerful or you must be right. Congress is filled with angry people. You notice that? There's no more colleagues. It's just enemies. And it gives people a sense of control and virtue and power. But here's the deal. Anger is hazardous to our emotional health. You know this. It leads to bitterness, to rage, to exhaustion, to depression. Ultimately, angry people uh, often become people who are suicidal people. They're angry, they're angry that they can't get what they want, they can't be who they want to be, and finally they just say, screw it, I'm going to kill myself. And I'll get back at those people by doing it. That's one version of it. And here's the thing. Even when we say, yeah, yeah, okay, I don't want to be angry anymore. I don't want to be angry anymore. My friend said to the big bully that he pulled off the bus, and he fought off the bus, he said, you need to get help, man. And he said, I've had to deal with anger in my life. I couldn't do it on my own. You need to get help. Anger doesn't automatically go away. It needs processing for closure. Anger requires God's help to restore peace, security, and proper perspective. Think of anger as an, as an internal alarm. An alarm goes off in you that alerts you. Something's going on here, and you're angry. I need to defend myself. It's that flight, fight kind of thing, right? I'm angry. I see something that isn't right. Great. It's a signal. Um, uh, something is going on. Uh, think of it this way. A fire alarm is a jarring call to action, but a fire alarm does not put out fires. The alarm doesn't put out the fire. The siren on the truck doesn't put out the fire. It just warns everybody, we're going to a fire. We're going to deal with a fire. And once the alarm goes off, you have to identify the problem and get to work. And so this is the nature of anger. It's a value added in life. It allows us to be aware that we could be threatened or something could be wrong, that we could possibly have something to deal with. A friend of mine was in Big Sur this week, two little kids and his wife, and they're driving along, and they come uh, to this one place where a lady had gone off the road. Her car is dangling off the end of the road. It hit a tree. The tree knocked down a power pole. Power lines all across Highway 1, and there's people getting out of their car with cameras climbing around the live wires. The car is still running. The lady's screaming uh, in Spanish, and People are just, and, and, and you know, some guy who went into the bush, the bush in 1960 comes out, oh, dude, you know, I can help. And like, hey, buddy, stay there, you know, get back. And my friend said, I started to get angry because all these people were being so foolish. They were going to endanger the people in the car. They're going to electrocute themselves and their kids. And so he had to just compose himself and say, hey, folks, you need to get back. And we need to methodically come at this. And, and, and hopefully there's a, a, a serious first responder who's going to show up here. And somebody did. So he turned it over to the first responder, and then they methodically dealt with the situation. But anger was part of his initial, right? It was concern, and then anger that, whoa, whoa, this is, you're, make, you're making a bad situation worse. So the Apostle Paul riffs on our proclivity to anger in Ephesians 4.26 by quoting Psalm 4.4. He says, in your anger do not sin, Psalm 4.4, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. What he's saying here is there's a value proposition at stake. That anger is alerting you to something valuable that is, that is not right. 
And he's saying, deal with it as soon as you can, because if it festers, it becomes something more. And all of a sudden, the issue that prompted the anger is no longer the issue. The anger and the bitterness and the violence and everything else becomes the issue. And so when you get angry, ask yourself, is my anger invoking a value? Hey, something isn't right here. Or is it diminishing a value, obscuring the fact that something could be right here? If your person says, well, you know, I don't know why you're talking about this because I don't get angry, you're in serious danger. If you, see, if you are seriously sitting here saying, I don't get angry, you need to see a counselor immediately. I'm, I'm not kidding. Because if you can't get angry, you don't feel like you have the right to have a point of view, to have an opinion, to express your emotions. You grew up in a family, maybe they said that's either not Christian, or that's not cool, or it's not convenient. If you're out of control, anger, and everybody's walking on eggshells around you, you need to go to the same counselor. Drive together, see two different counselors, and then talk about it. Because if we don't know how to express anger and experience anger, uh, we're in a bad place. And if we don't know how to deal with our anger and take it somewhere constructive, we're in a bad place, right? So this, comes, this counts for 100% of the people in this room. Don't think you're righteous because you don't get angry. Because I know if you don't get angry, you will get even. This is what passive-aggressive behavior is. But when you get angry, ask yourself, what do I do with this anger? Where do I go with it? What value is at stake? Or is it just my ego and pride, my sense of competition that's at stake? Now, here's the, here's the kicker. If someone is angry with you, they might be doing you a very big favor. They might be doing you a very big favor. How dare that person get angry at me? Think of it this way. They might be seeing value and worth in you that your beliefs and behaviors are obscuring. They're seeing you do some things that they see is not going to end up in a good place for you or other people. And because they care and they love, they're, they're saying, uh, this is concerning me. So don't be offended if somebody gets angry with you until you figure out that this isn't about me, it's about them, maybe. Their control and their power. So initially, if you start to feel angry that somebody's angry, give it enough time to figure out, should I be, you know? So my friend is saying, get away from the power line. Get away from the power line. Who are you telling me to get away from the, you know? You know? I didn't need those hands, you know? And it's the kind of thing where uh, this guy's yelling at me. Maybe I need to stop and figure out why he's yelling at me and find out that, hey, man, you're getting so close that I had to yell to get your attention. So God adds value by working in others to help you connect with your worth and value. God adds value by helping you identify your worth and your value. Some of those people are confronting you, hopefully appropriately, gently, kindly. Some of them are simply comforting you. You're just saying, man, this person needs a lot of love. I'm going to just love on them. In any case, if you don't allow yourself to be around people, you're going to miss out on some opportunities to get some guidance for God wanting to add value in your life. God wants to add value in your life. God's already created value. He already sees your worth and your value. Now he wants to add it. Add it in the sense of allowing you to appropriate it and to live into it to get over the resentment or the hurt or the disappointment of where you are right now. I thought it would be differently at this point in my life. I expected this to be happening at this point in my life. Why is it happening this way? I worked so hard to make it happen this way. Why, who are those people to, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But God wants to add value to your life. He's going to bring people into your life to do that. In a world that's hurting and fallen and is being redeemed and is in need of redemption, you are a place where God wants to do that work. 
And so we can learn God's ways. We can live in a better relationship with God and people. Uh, the song Amazing Grace is about John Newton, the slave trader, the horrible, vicious slave trader that he was, an abuser of people, a merchandiser of people. There's nothing to me more evil than slave trading. Would you agree? Slave trading is like the most vicious crime we can perpetuate on people. Now, now, now forcing young women into prostitution, that's a version of slave trading. Forcing people that's a, that's a version of slave trading. Whatever form it comes in, it's evil and pernicious. Why? Because it robs people of the worth and value that God has given them. And you're demeaning the image of God in people. So here's John Newton who, who comes to know Jesus. And what does he say? I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. He spent the rest of his life anguishing over the fact that he'd been a slave trader. Even though he knew he'd been forgiven, he wrote the song. He just threw himself into full-time ministry saying, I want to care for people. Because it wasn't in the official Church of England, he kept getting arrested for trying to do good things. And finally, somebody said, hey, well, well, would you stop arresting this guy? You know, he doesn't have all the official, you know, uh, credentials, but he's doing the right thing. See, by God's grace, out of our worth and value, we do godly works. Our, our worth and our value is foundational for good works. If you don't identify your worth and value, you're going to be less likely to do good works, or you're going to do good works trying to get a sense of worth and value, and that, that's always out of reach. You'll be an angry person doing good things. You know you're around a per, an angry person doing good things because they're knocking themselves out, doing all these great things, and they're not getting enough thanks or attention or you know, appreciation, and some, at one point they yell at everybody, they, they melt down, and they walk out of the kitchen or out of the house, or they quit the company, and, and everybody's going, what happened? What did we do wrong? Well, nothing. It's just that they, they were hoping to get from you the validation they need from God alone. And when you couldn't live up to it, they went elsewhere. I hate to say it this way. It sounds sexist to say it this way, but this is often a very much a mom thing. A mom can be working like crazy to care for her family. Dad is clueless. The kids are, are related to dad, and so they're clueless. And, and everybody's just loving the fact that mom is the awesome, wonderful mom that she is. I don't have to think about it. She's already provided it. And somebody goes to the store here. I don't know who it is. There's always milk in the fridge, and there's always clothes in the drawer. And pretty soon that mom says, hey, well, I am fed. I'm, you know, and, and what's happening with mom? Why is it mom in such a bad mood? Now, I'm not married to anybody like that. But I, I remember at home, every once in a while this happening, my, mom, my sweet, caring, loving mom would just like, be so frustrated. I'm like, what? I said thank you two years ago. I said thank you. I remember it clearly. You know. So we get to do these godly works out of our worth and value, not for our worth and value. Our efforts and achievements confirm and reinforce our sense of self-worth and self-esteem that God gives us. So it's a funny thing. God gives us worth and value, but self-esteem is actually the result of doing stuff. You can't give a person self-esteem by saying, you're awesome. What you can do is create a foundation and an environment that says you're loved, you have value. So much so that we discipline you, we remind you who you are, we teach you things that help you cope in the world. But self-esteem then has to be the result of somebody actually doing something and failing at it and, and, and sticking with it and finally getting pretty good at it or, or achieving the goal. That is self-esteem. So th these go together. You feel better if you learn how to do stuff. If somebody will not let you do stuff, you'll never feel good about yourself. You see how this works, right? All this is how God adds value. 
I want you to understand the value I've given you, and I want to show you what to do with it so that you can experience, um, in a sense, the confirmation of that. Okay, uh, we're going to take a lunch break, and I'm going to continue this sermon at some point. Um, or maybe I'll just wrap it up. How's that? Uh, so don't confuse your skills and your abilities and your achievements with uh, your God-given worth and value. Those are a thing that are continuous with it. They're not it. This happens in the church sometimes. People just feel like they have to do amazing and wonderful, constantly great things, or nobody will like them, or God won't like them. It doesn't help anybody when at home or at church or in your office, somebody's always doing good things, hoping to get validated. Men do this to women constantly. Men want women to validate them. Why? Because we all have this wound uh, from the fall. Men have it and women have it, this wound. And we try to fill up that wound with validation. If the right people like me, if I have a boyfriend, if I have a girlfriend, if, you know, if, if I can achieve these things. And at some point, it's a, it's, a, it's a folly. It's a pit. It's a grave. At some point, we have to say only God can meet those deep inner needs. Only He can validate my humanity. And then what I get to do is enjoy it and celebrate it in relationship with other people. And the appreciation and the validation and the confirmation I get are, are just extending what I already know is true in me. Versus I'm so hungry for it, I need to get it. And you will suffocate the people around you. You'll so demand it, after a while they're going, I can't do this anymore. So claiming your worth and your value doesn't require hiding your flaws or projecting your awesomeness. It's revealed in humility and vulnerability. Because we have worth and value, we can be humble and vulnerable. We have boundaries. We don't let people walk all over us. We're okay, it's okay if we have opinions. But we're, we're humble. That is, I can learn. And we're vulnerable. I'm willing to tell you what I'm struggling with, where I need help. Because the pressure to perform well is so intense, isn't it? The pressure to perform is so intense. Now, I was going to give you a bunch of examples of this, but I want to take time just to end worship with a song. But we'll come back to this and pick it up in some other ways in terms of the expectations that we put on ourselves and the expectations that people put on us to hit some level of what's okay. This is a thing that is really a tough thing because if you have a bunch of people in the country who have somehow achieved some things, they're freaking out and insecure about holding on to those things. The people who can't seem to achieve those things are resentful, envious, jealous, and ticked off. All of it because we have this sense that I'm not okay until I've somehow achieved something that everybody thinks is awesome. If we can come back to this basic understanding that God himself, let me just leave you these scriptures. I consider from Paul uh, right into the Philippians, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Nothing else compared. That's the loss. The only thing that's worthy in my ultimate understanding of me is that I know Jesus Christ my Lord. I love the way Zephaniah says it. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. This is the God who loves you. I love the way Paul wrote uh, to the people in Corinth. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. A new you is being developed by God himself. Uh, to live into this, Paul tells the Romans, love must be sincere. Sincere means without cracks, without wax. Don't, don't hide it if you got cracks. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. 
Be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. I hope you start every day knowing that you're a beloved child of God. And then out of that deep truth and that deep awareness of of your beloved stature and status before God, you have worth and you have value. Yes, you can squander it. You can give it to other people to determine if you deserve it. Both a waste of time. Just start your day by saying, Lord, thank you for making me your beloved child. Help me to live into the worth and the value that is mine because I'm your beloved child. Help me to then do my work with that in mind. Help me to encounter every person with that in mind because they share that as well. Help me to see the way you add value to everything in my life, even the horrible things as well as the good things. This is going to free you up not to have a superficial, highly optimistic and unrealistic view of life. It's going to help you be really wise and discerning as you understand that the biggest, most important things have already been settled by God. And now you're simply getting to learn how to live into it and express yourself. And nobody and nothing can take that away, but you can give it away. So don't give that away. Constantly come back and give it to God. And every time you're around a person and you have the opportunity, just say to them, you know, isn't it great that God loves you uh, unconditionally? And out of that unconditional love, He's going to allow you to do some things that are going to make you really uncomfortable as you learn to trust Him and try things, and it's okay to fail. I had this conversation with a 13-year-old this weekend, and I thought, this conversation never stops. I had this conversation with a 13-year-old, and I had a conversation with a 56-year-old. You'll have a conversation with an 80-year-old. This is the conversation we have forever and ever. Amen, right? So Lord Jesus, prepare us to have this conversation with you, with one another, as we experience all the emotions that come with being a human being in a fallen world. Help us to understand that, Lord, you want us to sort those out in a way that allow us to be honest, uh, true about who we are, humble and vulnerable, completely comfortable in the sense that you are with us and for us, even as we face undaunting, overwhelming odds sometimes. Lord, help us to be wise and discerning so that we can know how to say yes and no to the right things. That rather than being afraid to fail, we're simply learning how to recover well. Help us to be perpetually curious as we walk through this world that you've created with so much worth and value and we get to be a part of. We pray this in Jesus' high and holy name. Amen. Let's sing to God. And, And let this be your offering to God. As you hear the music, as you respond to the music, as you sing the music, um, and then we'll final, have a final blessing. Invite you to get something to eat, some great food. And we'd love to have you come back and be part of this thing we do for 45 minutes called Conversation. It's a really neat thing.
pray for you. Leif, thank you for that prayer. Uh, wow. Got more of that. Uh, when, when we say, would, would you like us to pray for you? It's like saying, would you like free money? I mean, it, it, think of it as not like, oh, I gotta go have brave. Think of it as, oh, somebody is gonna pray for me. Go right out around the corner to a beautiful prayer garden and say, hey, I, I'd love you to pray about this or for me or for a situation. Uh, and, and it's really a great gift to give yourself. Go out and get something to eat and then at 11, come back in here uh, we have the best time to do this thing called conversation. You'll not be put on the spot at all. It's just a great way of inter- interacting with some great content, some video content, little, little short video things that we then have a chance to talk about together in, in groups. So we want to do anything we can to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Don't be shy about asking for help in that regard. If you're stuck reading the Bible, we want to help you get unstuck. If you're afraid to jump into a group, we'll help you get into a group that will make it a lot easier for you to be in the community. Uh, if you need connections to things in the, you know, the community out there in terms of how you could use your gifts, we'd love to direct you out there. We don't uh, exist just to take care of ourselves. We are a church on a mission. Uh, so we're a, a, you know, an outwardly focused church. And we gather together simply to be in Christ's presence, to be reminded who we are as a community so that we can go out and do what he wants us to do. If we can help you make any of those connections out there, we'd love to do that. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord who loves you and wants you to have fullness of life in him both now and forevermore. Give you everything you need both now and forevermore in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for being in worship with us today.